Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are in uh, Luke chapter 12, but we're going to back up to the 45th verse of chapter 11, and we'll start there. The title of this session today is Warnings. So let's just go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into the Word of God. Father, we bless you. We thank you today. Now, Father, uh, we just uh, are obedient to your Word Whatever you say to us through your word, Father God, we just we just will we will do it. Praise God. And we thank you for it, Father. Now, Lord, we just ask you to anoint this session both in the, with the speaker and those within the sound of his voice. And Lord, we'll give you praise and honor and glory for that. In Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. We're starting in Luke chapter 11, verse 45. This is um, Jesus confronting the lawyers. Uh, We covered this last week, but I wanted to back up. There's some other things I want to say here. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, you're saying, do you reproach us also? And he said, woe unto you, lawyers, for you laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and you yourselves touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for you build the sepulchres of the prophets, And your fathers killed them. Truly, you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them and you build their sepulchers. Therefore, also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they shall slay and persecute that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel, until the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Very I say unto you, notice this, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Now, that is a potent warning. Now, when a nation and its leaders embrace that which is called, which God calls an abomination, He will judge that nation. Maybe not immediately, but he will judge that nation. And the sins of the people, the individual sins, become national sins. And I'm going to prove it here in just a moment, you see. And we are in a national sinful condition. And if there's ever a time where you have prayed and are praying for this nation, make sure that you do that and cry out for God's mercy. Because it could be, I'm not saying it will be, it could be that the national sins of this nation could be required of this generation. Now, I want to give you uh, a couple examples. And uh, one in particular is... In Numbers 25, verses 7 and 8, this is the event, uh, the, the priest, his name was Phinehas, and he was the grandson of Aaron. He was also the son of Eleazar. And this, he did something in the time of the licentious idolatry in Israel. And it was a horrible, and I'm saying a horrible, horrible uh, situation that Israel had joined itself 
to idolatry. And the leadership was leading the people into sin and ungodliness. You know, God, Jehovah had told them not to marry or not to have anything to do with uh, Gentile women or Gentile nations. And that's exactly what uh, these leaders in the time of Moses were doing. And what happened is that Phinehas saw a leader of Israel with a uh, Moabitess woman and they went into the tent. Matter of fact, this man introduced this woman to his friends who were also part of the leadership of Israel. And of course, they were committing uh, immorality and Phinehas executed judgment upon the man and the woman by driving a spear through the both of them when they were in the act of adultery and fornication. And God stayed the plague. If you'll read that, Numbers chapter 25, verses 7 and 8, uh, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. There was a righteous man that executed judgment and the plague was stayed up until that time about 25 Israelites, 25,000 rather, Israelites, most of whom were innocent people, uh, had died of the plague. But see, through the actions, through the judgment of one man, that plague was stayed. Well, uh, you may be saying, well, see, that was in the Old Testament. Listen, God has not changed. God has not changed. He's the same God of the New Testament as he is of the Old Testament. The only difference is, is now we have a mediator, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's the one that ever lives to intercede for us. But when a nation begins and society begins to accept that which God calls an abomination, like sexual immorality, like abortion, see, these individual sins then become national sins. And that's exactly what happened in Numbers chapter 25, that which men, sexual immorality that they got involved in, the leadership began to promote these things, began to live in these things and entice the children of Israel to do the same. That becomes a national sin, you see. And I know you and I, I know we love America, but we are responsible for the type of leaders that we appoint. Amen. And so reading on down here, verse 52, Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge, ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. And so going back to uh, judgment for national sin, this is exactly what happened in 70 A.D. And of course, if you read the writings of Josephus, he describes the destruction of Jerusalem and what happened. Well, the population which in Jerusalem uh, was normally between 100 and 200,000 people had swelled to over a million because people were fleeing the Roman soldiers and finding refuge within the walls of Jerusalem. And when Titus raised uh, the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, uh, there were well over between 500,000 and a million casualties, many of whom were innocents, children, children that did not know anything about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus said specifically, and we'll read this in a little bit. Jesus said specifically 
that the city of Jerusalem would, would be so destroyed that there would not be one stone above another. And so it goes back to verse 52. Woe unto you, Lord, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves and them that were entering in you hindered. In other words, what they were teaching was not God's word and and taught the people to believe something else, you see, and that always leads into sin. Verse 53, and he said, and he said, and as he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him and to speak many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Instead of them repenting of their evil, they double down on their evil. Amen. And so now coming over to uh, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse one, notice in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, that Greek word means innumerable multitude can also be translated myriads, which which the definition is thousands, thousands. Notice how Luke records this. In the meantime, uh, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon the other, he began to say in his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It was the leaven of the Pharisees that led Israel into its destruction. Just like what is happening today in our public school system, in our colleges and universities and in our federal government and in other governments, you know, the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy and it will lead us into judgment and destruction. That's why we have to we have to pay attention to what's going on. And then Jesus says this, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid. That shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now, Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees and to the lawyers, what you're plotting in destroying me and murdering me and stopping this movement that I came uh, to begin and that I'm promoting you know, you think what you're doing, you're doing in secret, but it's going to get out into the open. And it did. It did roughly a generation later. And then verse four, Jesus says, and I say unto you, my friends. Now, that's very interesting. My uh, friends. Jesus is calling his disciples friends. And a friend is someone that we have a mutual relationship and trust. So Jesus is saying what what I suffer is what you will suffer because you're my friends. And Jesus said, you know, I don't call you servants. I call you friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So those of you who are listening, uh, you are battle hardened believers. You've been through the fire, but yet you have not been burned. And you are part of the uh, the Lord's army and you're standing against evil. I want you to know that whatever Jesus suffered you and I may suffer also, and we just have to be prepared for it. So Jesus calls his disciples friends. Let's read this again. 
He says, but I will forewarn you whom you, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse four. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. Notice that. Notice what Jesus is saying here. Now, this word fear, it means to be seized with fear and alarm. It means to shrink back from. It means to throw one's hands over his mouth and his face because of the awesomeness of what uh, they are uh, seeing or sensing. See, this is the kind of fear. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, I understand this. I understand this fully and completely because a few years ago I was meditating over in Luke concerning the uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And as I was reading along, uh, I was reading the conversation that uh, the rich man had with Abraham. And I began to ponder, wonder what it felt like, what what this rich man felt like. And I was closing my eyes. I was meditating. And all of a sudden, I became the rich man. And when and, and as with my eyes closed, I opened up my eyes and what I sensed so scared me. I fell on my knees and I began to cry out to God. I don't ever want to go to that place. Lord, I never want to go to that place. That shook me. I mean, there's not much that scares me. That scared me. That scared me. And so I wrote in my journal what I what I experienced. And I want to read it to you. In my conscious mind, I took the rich man's place. I opened my eyes in hell. And what I experienced, I realized that I was typical of every piece of broken and sinful humanity to which Jesus died, to which he had come to save, and that I had sinned away my day of grace. I realized that as I opened my eyes in hell that I was completely and totally forsaken. His form, talking about the Lord Jesus, too horrible to view or contemplate because of what he did, but because of my unbelief that I had received the full recompense of my reward, the ugly, the cursed, and the future, putrid nature of sin. The chastisement for my peace that Jesus suffered on the cross for me, I refused. I awakened and out of myself I came in a chamber so black, existing in a state of listlessness, being all the while conscious of total blackness, darkness, being aware of my eternal abandonment, eternally and entirely alone, complete hopelessness and total despair, a hopeless, darkened abandonment by God to everything, 
in torment, a spiritually dead person in torment and agony, all the emotions of a spiritual dead person increased a hundredfold. Think of a hundredfold increase of fear and of dread and of oppression and of misery. I sensed all of it. I was counted with them that went down into the pit. I'm reminded of a scripture in Psalm 88. I was as a man that has no strength, free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave to whom the Lord remembers no more. They are cut off from his hand. And like I said, I cried out in mortal fear. I cried out in dread. I shuddered. I cried that I never wanted to be in a place so horrid as that. So I know, I know by that experience, I know what the rich man felt. And I know what all those that go down into the pit, that's what they experience. So when Jesus said, but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear, fear him, which after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. You think about the wretchedness. You think about the horror of those folks in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. captured within the walls. Those who escaped had their midsection ripped open looking for jewels. I'm telling you. When God brings down judgment, when we send away our day of grace and God judges nations for its national sins. Listen, it's not a pretty sight. Now, listen to what. Matthew records in Matthew 24, and then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and the disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that's exactly what happened. Now, listen to this in Luke chapter 23, verses 27 through 31. We're talking about national sins. And why we must why we must pray. And why we must execute judgment. And I'm not talking about with a physical spear thrusting it to pe through people. I'm talking about the kind of judgment that the psalmist talks about in 149. Having the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand to execute judgment upon the heathen and upon their princes. To bind their princes in chains and their kings in fetters. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about working in such a way in this United States of America that all those that are leading us in these national sins and are promoting it, amen, that we remove them from leadership. Because basically, I'm telling you that we are responsible for the leaders that we appoint. We are responsible for their conduct. We are responsible for their wickedness. That's why we must work and do everything we can to get them removed. And you may be approving of what's being done in our government. You may you may be an approver of abortion. You might be approver of of, uh, of homosexual rights and fornication and sexual immorality. 
You may be an approver of pornography, the way it's made available and, and children being abused sexually. You may approve of that. Well, I want you to know that you're part. You're part of the problem. And you better repent. You better ask God, amen, to cleanse you and to make you whole again. If we appoint evil and evil men, then God will appoint evil to us. I don't know when, but I know it will happen because that's scriptural. Luke says this in Luke 23. He writes this rather starting in verse 27. This was Jesus on his way to the cross and a great multitude of the people followed him. And women also mourned and lamented him. But, but Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Oh, friends, I'm telling you, we better start weeping. We better start weeping for ourselves and for our children and for our grandchildren. What kind of a country are our grandchildren going to grow up in? For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? And what did Jesus mean by that statement? Israel was doing well. The very moment that they were murdering Jesus and crucifying him, Israel was doing well. It was a green tree. They had opportunity up to that point to repent, but they would not. They would not. And so Jesus took his hand off of that nation, that generation. And that green tree, that green wood turned dry and it burned. It absolutely burned. I'm telling you, we're, we're in a serious situation in this nation. A nation that it will not be easy to get out of. But if we will pray for God and for his mercy, if we will weep between the porch and the altar and execute judgment, God can and will deliver us. But if we don't, he won't. And once the die is cast, my friend, once the die is cast, you cannot and will not be able, amen, to reverse it. Now, in verse six, Jesus says this, are not five sparrows sold for two fatherings and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also, I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And Matthew records this, but whosoever shall deny me before him, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. And Paul recorded this. It's a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. This is what our national leaders are doing. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees was seated by their denial of Jesus as the Messiah. They wanted the public to think that they were holy men. Jesus called them out and he called them hypocrites. 
And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. And when they bring you into the synagogues, this is verse 11, and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer for what or, or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. Now, I want to say that and make this point. We don't know whether we'll be called upon to offer our life up as a sacrifice or as a martyr for Jesus. But Jesus tells us in this verse that if that if that time comes, the Holy Spirit is going to give us the strength and the boldness to give our full devotion to him. So you do not have to worry about what man can do to you. Amen. Like Jesus says, who are, who are we to fear? We are to fear him who sits upon the throne. We are to fear him who has the power to kill us and then to cast us into hell. And I want you to think of your daughters and I want you to think of your sons and I want you to think of your grandchildren. And I want you to think of the direction that this country is taking right now. Please pray. Please seek God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Weep between the porch and the altar. Let's execute judgment. We're not talking about physical swords. We're talking about spiritual swords. Let's roll the powers of darkness back. Let's pray and get these leaders that are leading us down a wrong path Let's get them out of office and let's pray in men and women who fear God and will do what is right. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, Luke, I mean, Jesus goes on and he says this. This is uh, in beginning in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. This is him, him warning us concerning the sin of covetousness. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and a divider over you? And he said to him, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Is there a, the sin of covetousness covering this land? I believe there is. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So he that lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Now, in closing, I want to say this. The sin of covetousness is the 10th commandment of the law. And it is that sin which is the cause of of breaking all the other commandments because you cannot love God and become covetous. You can't do it. 
Amen. You can't keep God's name holy and be covetous. You can't honor your father and mother and be covetous. So if we can't keep the first four commandments because of covetousness, then that means we can't keep the other six. You see, and covetousness throughout this land has become a national sin. It stopped being a personal sin and now has become a national sin because society has accepted it. Just like society is accepting abortion and society and we're fighting against abortion. Praise God. I think we're making inroads. Amen. We better continue to pray and seek God that this national sin, amen, be removed from us. It's the same with covetousness. Notice what Paul wrote to Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. United States of America is the rich man. And God will hold us accountable for what we do. So brothers and sisters, we got a lot of praying to do. We got a lot of weeping to do. We've got a lot of fasting to do. And while this time before God judges this nation, we have we have an opportunity to turn it around and let's do that. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Father, for these warnings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pay attention to them. We pay attention to them. We pay attention to his warnings. Father, in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.